The Spars Pandemic, Chapter 4 Users Beware At the beginning of this chapter, there are a couple of make-believe news headlines that are anticipated to come in this scenario. Tuesday, January 13th, FDA promotes miracle cure for spars. Wednesday, January 14th, officials recommend use of unsafe spars drugs for children. Wednesday, January 14th, CDC officials, spars drug may be ineffective, use it anyway. Following limited evidence of success in treating spars patients with colossifer, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization, EUA, for this drug as a spars therapeutic in the United States. While colossifer had a positive impact against spars, Preliminary data indicated it also caused intense stomach cramping in a statistically significant number of adult cases. Additionally, while initial hopes had been that Colossiver would, in addition to treating the disease, prevent or reduce transmission, this was not the case. Nevertheless, due to high public demand for access to viable sparse treatments, public health and healthcare agencies drew from existing SNS inventories of Colossivir, several million doses, until further production of the drug could begin. Official announcements about the use of Colossivir to treat SPARS were made in early January 2026. Although extensive intra-agency efforts were made to coordinate messages, Slight differences were emphasized by the media, leading to the appearance of diverging messages. The FDA, for example, explained that Colossivir was being authorized under emergency use protocols as a treatment for SPARS and recommended that the healthcare providers and other interested persons review the FDA-approved drug insert, which included information about potential side effects. The CDC the CDC's announcement contained similar information, but when a CDC spokesperson was asked direct questions on air, he explained the preliminary nature of the Colossivir trials and stressed that the efficacy of the drug against SPARS remained unknown. The NIH announcement, meanwhile, also echoed the FDA announcement. But when the NIH spokesperson appeared on a widely viewed interview on a popular morning news show, the interviewer focused primarily on the possible benefits of Colossivir for adults only. In addition to the government agency's official channels of communication, mes uh, communication messages about Colossivir were also distributed by national and local media organizations. Depending on the particular government source or sources these agencies used, their reports differed slightly. When these messages were in turn shared via social media, they continued to diverge. Some individuals on social media, citing the CDC spokesperson's interview, claimed that Colossiver had not been thoroughly tested and was potentially unsafe. Others, citing parts of the CDC and NIH announcements, incorrectly claimed that while Colossiver was safe for adults, it was possibly unsafe for children. Yet, others wondered why the drug was not being administered preventatively to the entire United States population. 
Because little actual data on the safety and efficacy of Colossivir existed at the time, government agencies had a difficult time responding to the ever-diverging public responses on social media. After Colossivir was in public use for three months, the FDA was able to release updated information about the drug's effectiveness and the incidence of side effects. This information came too late, however, for large portions of the general public. In Wisconsin, where many individuals were treated with Colossivir, local citizens posted, tweeted, chatted, and zapped real-time impressions of the drug. While some claimed the drug was effective and even life-saving, most reported no effect and claimed that the drug had caused additional side effects, such as headaches, nausea, and body aches. The social media reports of these side effects were so ubiquitous in the Milwaukee area, the local newspapers openly questioned the FDA's updated safety information. With one reporter even asking live on air if the FDA even knew what side effects were. In Lawrence, Kansas, on the other hand, local media, again, using social media responses as a source, focused on how successful Colossivir was at the treatment of SPARS. By late January 2026, the WHO reported sustained transmission of SPARS in 42 countries across the globe. The disease proved to be particularly devastating in low-income countries, where weak health systems, malnourishment, and co-infections greatly exacerbated the impacts of SPARS. In the United States, the situation was much less dire, but public concern about SPARS remained high. This anxiety resulted in extensive use of Colossivir across the country and led many citizens to actively seek out medical attention for even minor SPARS-like symptoms. Though taxing for local hospitals and clinics, increased self-reporting of SPARS-like symptoms provided data that clarified certain epidemiological features of the disease. The CDC published analyses of this data, which indicated a much lower case fatality rate of 1.1% compared to the initial 4.7% estimate. While this information was a relief to public health officials, it did little to quell public concern. In addition, not all members of the public responded to the SPARS in the same way. Small groups of individuals spread throughout the country, for example, who felt that natural cures such as garlic and vitamins would be more effective at treating SPARS than an untested drug were much less likely to accept Colossiver as a treatment option or even seek medical attention for SPARS-like symptoms. Similarly, some ethnic minorities, and particularly ethnic groups who lived close together in large, tight-knit communities, also rejected Colossiver. Some of this resistance, particularly among select ethnic minority groups, was attributable to questionable messaging on the part of public health agencies. While news reports and press releases were provided in multiple languages, not all of the messages were culturally appropriate for the populations receiving them. One of the best examples of this occurring among the Navajo tribe in the southwestern United States. In early February 2026, the newly instated director of the Navajo Area Indian Health Service, NAIHS, 
took messaging provided by the CDC and modified this so it was more fear-based. His methods included taking the tagline from a CDC message, see your healthcare provider if you experience SPARS-like symptoms, and adding the phrase, SPARS can kill you at the end. While the intent of the director was to increase the number of Navajo seeking treatment for SPARS, the modified message, which was widely distributed throughout tribal areas, backfired. Fewer Navajo came forward in the following weeks for treatment from the NAIHS for SPARS-like symptoms. Sensing a mistake had been made, the director reached out to tribal, tribal leadership. After intensive dialogue, the messaging of the NAIHS was changed to reflect the Navajo beliefs in sustaining life and eschewing a focus on death. Specifically, the fear-based messaging was replaced with positive messaging, including seeing healthcare providers for spars-like symptoms can help you and your family members live long and happy lives. Due to the variation in local responses to Colossevere and persisting anxiety around the outbreak itself, local public health agencies actively tried to address controversies and coordinate public health outreach with local populations. While many of these local public health outreach efforts successfully increased compliance with recommended health actions, they were not effective at reaching some special interest groups, including the growing national anti-colosivir slash natural medicine movement, which was dispersed across the country and not concentrated in local areas. Side note, communication dilemma. Harmonizing inconsistent messaging across health agencies. Appropriately tailoring public health messages to address the concerns and cultures of specific communities. Food for thought. Number one. How could pre-crisis partnerships and alliances have averted the potential for inconsistent messaging around colossivere safety and if efficacy? What are the potential effects of unaligned official messages about MCM safety and efficacy? 2. How could social media have been used to supplement traditional methods of collecting data about Colossivere's effectiveness and side effects? Number 3. What is the difference between word-for-word -word translation and cultural competent MCM messages? What are the potential social and, and public health impacts of failures to deliver culturally competent MCM guidelines or MCM guidance? And just a reminder, MCM stands for medical countermeasures. Okay, so they're talking about medical countermeasures. So what are the potential social and public health impacts of failures to deliver culturally co uh, competent medical countermeasures? Okay, that's the end of chapter four. Now, readers aside, before going on to chapter five, as you can see, they are anticipating, quite logically, that when the virus, or sorry, when the vaccine is released, there are going to be horrible side effects. They anticipated that people are going to be posting real-time effects of people uh, having headaches and migraines, in, in the real world, we saw people breaking out in disgusting and horrible rashes all over their bodies. We saw people having convulsions. We saw people having seizures. 
uncontrollable shaking, heartbreaking and heart-wrenching um, destruction of wives, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, all getting horribly affected by these vaccines. Many deaths, doctors, foolish doctors, stupid, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it, stupid doctors taking these vaccines and dying. Okay, all these reports started to flood in after the release of the vaccines in, in the real world. Now in this manual, they're anticipating all of it. Obviously, you just heard what I read. They're anticipating the whole shebang. And the problem they want to address is how do we keep a consistent narrative going despite what we know is going to be the public reaction, okay? So as you heard in this food for thought, um, how could pre-crisis partnerships and alliances have averted the potential for inconsistent messaging around Colossivir safety? Inconsistent messaging, right? That that just means okay. Well, how do we how do we shut the people up that are that are telling the truth <laughs> about our about our vaccines? How do we keep the propaganda consistent? Okay. So you see, it's all here. Every everything that's happened with the with the pandemic progression in real life, in the real world, it's all here. It's play by play by play by play. Chapter five. Going viral. Reports of negative side effects associated with Colossivir began gaining traction in February 2026. Despite the negative response, Public health agencies continued to make progress until February when a video of a three-year-old boy in North Carolina who was hospitalized with SPARS and began projectile vomiting immediately after taking a dose of Colossivir went viral. In the video clip, the boy's physician administered a pediatric dose of liquid Colossivir. A few moments later, the boy begins vomiting profusely, chokes, and then faints while his mother shrieks in the background. This clip was widely shared across the United States, with a variety of captions including hashtag no and hashtag natural is better. The hashtags, in turn, provided a way for people sharing these views to find one another and band together on social media. They formed ZapQ and other online discussion groups which allowed them to receive any messages from group members via smartphones and internet-accessible technology, IAT, instantaneously, as they were posted. Some members of these ZAPQ groups even began to use full-size 12 by 12 IAT, Internet Accessing Technology, screens on backs of their jackets, coats, and backpacks to loop the vomiting video for all in their in immediate vicinity to see. The social media groundswell quickly overwhelmed the capacity of local, state, and federal agencies to respond, and compliance with public health and medical recommendations dropped considerably. The FDA and other government agencies quickly attempted to remind the public that correlation does not equate causation, and that vom- Sorry, and that vomiting was not a known side effect of Colossivir. This message, while scientifically accurate, 
lacked appropriate empathy, and failed to assuage the public's mounting fears. As a result, it was largely ignored, and public concern continued to grow. In the following weeks, officials from the FDA, CDC, and other government organizations attempted to promote positive, accurate information about Colossivir on several traditional and social media platforms in order to quell public fear. This messaging, however, was less than optimal, both in terms of timing and dissemination. While the government took several days to provide an emotionally appropriate message, the spread of the viral video on social media was exponentially faster. By the time the government responded, most people across the country had already seen vomiting video, the, the vomiting video and formed their own conclusions. Additionally, in their responses, governmental organizations were not able to effectively access all social media platforms. ZapQ groups, for example, had closed memberships and typically could only be accessed via invitations from group members. Both of these issues prompted government organizations to improve the timing and impact of their social media responses. While most government agencies, including the CDC and HHS, had long established offices that were directed to coordinate social media and other communication efforts, the protocols of individual agencies and different agency cultures led to delayed and sometimes uncoordinated messages. Compounding this situation was the social media outreach conducted by individual members of the government. Several members of Congress were very active on sites like Twitter, where they could leverage their office and spread their own personal beliefs under the guise of public positions. In late May, one of these individuals, a former doctor and current senator of Iowa, responded to a second vomiting video by tweeting, Don't be buffoons. Colossivir is 100% safe and 100% effective. Correlation does not equate causation. After being shared tens of thousands of times, the tweet was picked up by traditional media outlets. This led to multiple awkward news interviews with FDA and CDC officials who had to clarify that while the sentiment of the message was correct, Colossifier did have potential side effects and was not completely effective at treating spars. Despite the many outreach efforts by various government officials and entities, the government was ultimately unable to develop a suitable response to the initial vomiting video. By early June 2026, the video had become the most shared zap click um, a clip among junior high and high school students across the country who appreciated the shock factor of the video. As a result, the public health was continually exposed to the anti-Colossivir message for several months after the initial incident and subsequent responses. Communication, uh, this is side note, communication dilemma, responding to the power of graphic images of a child in distress. One story is elevated to a population level problem. Food for thought. Why might communicating the science around MCM, medical countermeasures, add, um, so let's read again. 
Why might communicating the science around medical countermeasure adverse effects alone not be enough to address the public's fears and concerns about an MCM like Colossivir? Why is it also important to communicate with compassion, concern, and empathy? Two, to what extent is having sufficiently skilled staff and organizational capacity to communicate via traditional media and social media platforms critical to influencing public debates and awareness about an MCM like Colossivir? Three, what, what medical countermeasure communication challenges and opportunities are likely to emerge among up-and-coming youth audiences who are avid consumers of interactive and visual forms of information? End of chapter five. You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, does anyone remember that famous part from the second Dark Knight movie in the series with the Joker? Uh, the one with Heath Ledger. And it was when Heath Ledger was talking to Two-Face, if I'm not mistaken. And he, he said something very chilling. And he goes, you know, as long as chaos, or is this, I'm paraphrasing, this is just, it's something to the effect of, as long as chaos is part of the plan, nobody freaks out. But as soon as something happens that's not part of the plan, everybody starts losing their minds, right? Something like that. You know what, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot, or a truckload of soldiers will be blown up, nobody panics. Because it's all part of the plan but when i say that one little old mare will die well then everyone loses their minds introduce a little anarchy upset the established order and everything becomes chaos i'm an agent of chaos and you can see that in this training manual, this is exactly what's happening, okay? They just pump into the public, you know, there are gonna be side effects. Yeah, they're gonna be side effects. This vaccine is, it's safe and effective. It's safe and effective. Oh, but there's side effects. People are gonna die. People are gonna die. People are gonna have adverse effects. People are gonna get headaches. They're gonna start throwing up. There, some are gonna just straight up get killed. But you know what? It's all part of the plan. It's normal. This is normal. This is what normal health treatment looks like. That's what they're telling you. And they're hoping that you're stupid enough to accept this. Now, I don't know about you, but any legitimate, real, real healing protocol doesn't destroy your health. I've, I've never known any cure of apples and lemon water or any cure of fasting, water fasting, or any cure of a mono, mono fruit cleanse or a juice regime, juice cleanse regime. I have never known any, any of these health remedies to cause epileptic seizures, okay? 
horrible, horrible, total body canvas rashes of redness, like explosive dermatitis, and and death. Okay. Natural health remedies, as much as you might find the discomfort of detox, they do not hurt the body. They do not injure the body. They do not add toxicity to the body. Okay. Natural health remedies purge toxicities from the body. And the body has some mild effects in purging toxins from the body. But these health remedies by the pharmaceutical death industry, they add and load the body with toxicities on top of what is already there. And then the body struggles tooth and nail to fight against this increased load. And sometimes that load is unbearable and the person dies. But it's all normal, ladies and gentlemen. It's all part of the plan. So don't you worry. Go and take your vaccine because it's part of the plan. It's all normal. No matter how horrible death, illness, disease, suffering, epilepsy, stroke, blood clots, no matter how horrible those things are, it's anticipated. It's acceptable. It's normal. Therefore, Take our poison. Chapter 7. The Voice. By May 2026, public interest in SPARS had begun to wane. In late April, the CDC had publicized an updated case fatality rate estimate, suggesting the SPARS was only fatal in 0.6% of cases in the United States, where access to medical treatment was available. This figure matched public sentiment, widely expressed on social media, that SPARS was not as dangerous as initially thought. Combined with persisting doubts about Colossivir and the lacks of a commercially available SPARS vaccine, the new, lower case fatality rate estimate led the public to grow increasingly hostile toward continued SPARS messaging. In order to overcome the public's disinterest, the CDC and FDA, in concert with other government agencies and their social media experts, began developing a new public health messaging campaign about SPARS, Colossivir, and the forthcoming vaccine, Coravax. Oh, Christ. The purpose of this campaign was to create a core set of messages that could be shared by all public health and government agencies over the next several months, during which time, the SPARS vaccine would be introduced. Even though the disease was less fatal than initially thought, it remained expensive to treat in its severe form, and even mild cases had substantial impacts on economic productivity across the country. In late May, three messages were approved by the cross-agency committee established to produce the messaging campaign. One, addressing the nature and risks of SPARS, one regarding the effectiveness of Colossiver, and one about the anticipated release of Coravax. These messages were broadly shared via all relevant government agencies 
internet, and social media accounts. In an effort to further reach certain population subgroups, agency officials enlisted the help of well-known scientists, celebrities, and government officials to make short videos and zap clips, and, in a few cases, give interviews to major media outlets. Among those chosen were former President Jacqueline Bennett, BZ, popular hip-hop star, and Paul Farmer, co-founder of Partners in Health and a renowned global health expert. The campaign produced mixed results. Common messaging did reduce public confusion, evinced by a 15-23% to increase in the public's correct understanding of SPARS and Colossevere in national polls. While common messaging resulted in more cohesive traditional media coverage, the celebrity outreach campaign was more problematic. BZ's original Zap clip was widely shared, particularly among African American and urban populations. However, in an interview aired on Access Hollywood, during which he was asked about the accelerated clinical trials for Corvax, BZ noted his admiration for those who volunteered to, public, uh, to participate in the trials, and then compared these recent volunteers to volunteers in previous health-related studies, including the men who volunteered at Tuskegee. The resulting backlash, particularly from African Americans, undermined the effectiveness of BZ's efforts. Not long after, 60 Minutes aired a live nationally broadcast interview with former President Bennett. When asked if she would want her new grandson to receive Colossivir, Bennett, caught off guard, paused, and eventually gave a hesitant, somewhat contradictory response. Well, I... Uh, experts say the drug is safe. And it's not easy, but I think everyone should make the decision that's best for their family. Video clips from this interview were shared widely on social media and by professionals and members of the public to criticize Bennett for not taking a strong stance in, in support of Colossiver. The aftermath of the interview, however, did galvanize many House and Senate Republicans to support Colossiver use in earnest in an effort to demonstrate their opposition to the former Democratic president. Side note, communication dilemma. Responding to misinformation or doubt about an MCM generated by a prominent public figure. Food for thought. Given the ability of powerful public figures to reinforce or to undermine public health messages, what steps might health authorities at either national or local levels take to reverse the negative effects of BZ's unintended linkage of Tuskegee and Corvax or Bennett's tepid, uncertain support of Colossivir. As the end of chapter 7. And readers aside, so we see that they know that some influential personalities, some influential YouTubers, some Hollywood celebrities, some uh, some singers, whatever. They, they know that at some point, someone is going to slip up and either start telling the truth or make just a, a real report of personal events, of, uh, of an injury from treatment or whatever. Someone is going to let something slip. So, what do they do? They, they want to know what to do. What's the contingency? How do we deal with that? 
And so as we've seen in real life, all they do is they get their own celebrities. They just buy and bribe a whole bunch of other celebrities to give the narrative, to, to toe the line, to just do exactly what they tell them, all right? So if there are a couple celebrities that have something to say, well, they just bribe 10 times more celebrities to give the narrative. And that way, that one celebrity telling the truth looks like the outcast, looks like the crazy person, right? This is how they operate. All right, that'll do it for now, guys. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll pick this up on the next series with chapter eight. <laughs>